in your Bibles this morning. If you don't, there's one right there in the pew in front of you, and you can look at the book of Genesis and read the Word of God for yourself. I think a lot of times we're talking about being faithful and and desiring to be faithful. I, I like what the Bible says, uh, that those that actually will see the Lord, um, every person who's been born again. Uh, by the way, if you've never been born again, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. That's not my words. That's the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 3. And so what does it mean to be born again? Well, you had an earth birth. Now you need a spiritual birth. And uh, it's the Holy Spirit does that, draws you to God. Um, and again, we are looking forward to help you in any way we can to understand that a little bit more. I chosen our text today because I decided that I was going to have for a theme this year, Always Abounding. And Always Abounding in the Grace of God was the title for today. And so looking at this passage, I couldn't help but think about, um, about Noah and the story of Noah. And uh, I, I like to, to, to hear the story. Many of you uh, have probably heard the story of Noah and could tell it to me and uh, let me know a little bit more about it. But uh, I also see uh, that there is a need for us, like the song says, to stay faithful and that there is a faithful hall of fame that is actually mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, gives us a little display. The 12th chapter, of course, says that we have this great cloud of witnesses is talking about the faithful hall of fame of those that have come before us. And so they have stayed faithful, and I'm praying that you would stay faithful, even through the difficulties that you have have gone through and maybe are going through right now, or maybe we'll go through on starting on Monday morning. Uh, we'll see. But uh, the Word of God actually gives us a record of faithful people. Um, it was the elders that by faith ordained uh, a good report. Uh, by faith, of course, we see Abel's worship was accepted. Um, Enoch, by faith, walked with God. And then by faith, Noah worked for God. And Abraham, by faith, waited on God for the appointed time. But what's interesting is we talk about uh, the book of Hebrews, and we talk about Noah. The Bible mentions uh, Noah in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. The Bible says in verse number 7 of Hebrews 11, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen yet, moved with fear, that's a holy reverence, prepared an ark to saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And so the Bible gives us an explanation of that faith that actually uh, we can be righteous by faith, not by our deeds, because many people try to help God out and be good, pay your taxes and so on, and you think that all of that is what actually gets you into heaven. There is a righteousness by faith, and that's what was applied to Noah here in the Old Testament. And then there was others, I assume, at that particular time that were looking to the Lord, to the God of heaven. But the Bible actually shows us uh, in the sixth chapter of Genesis a little bit more concerning the house of Noah. Let, let me just sh share with you some things out of my Bible that I've written down. Um, if you have your text in front of you, you can look at verse number one. I want to read it to you again. It says, and it came to pass, uh, and by the way, these are new glasses, and they're not as good as my other ones, and so I can't really see very well. Uh, um, the other ones are better, but they're older. Um, but I just felt like wearing these ones today, but now I can't read very good. So um, 
So bear with me. Uh, if I get stuck on a word, okay, I'll, I just, just don't help me out. You don't have to say the word, okay? Just, just be quiet, and I'll, I'll get it, all right? All right, verse number one, it says, And it came to pass, when the men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born of them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all that they chose, of all, of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive. That word strive means to contend or always plead with man. We know that that's true because of the Noah story. 120 years, Noah preached, get on board, and not one person came, only his family. Pretty interesting. But it says, my spirit shall not always strive or plead with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. Now let me just explain this a little bit, because many people have taken this verse and have uh, kind of made their own doctrine on it. Let me just explain here a little bit more. Let's read the verse first, and then I'll go back and explain what the word giants mean here. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which are of old men of renown. And so when the Bible's speaking of these giants, I looked up the word for giants here, and the word is in the Hebrew language is the word Nephilim. Maybe you've heard of that word before, Nephilim, but it actually is talking about these are, uh, that particular word in the Hebrew language means that they were bullies. These were tyrants. Uh, one actually, one of the words used for this particular word giant is the word feller, F-E-L-L-E-R, uh, speaking of people who would fall on somebody else that was bigger than them and would bully them. They were reckless men of veracity or uh, ferocity, which means furious men, if you would, or, or daring men. Uh, these were men who were actually uh, the fallen of the earth. They were not born of God. They were born of men. Um, it goes on to say, when I was doing a study on this particular uh, men, is that these were men that were devilish, um, they had a mind only for that which is bad. These men became heroes, and they were in a position of authority. Uh, they were conquerors, if you would. They were uh, descendants of Cain, so they were Cainites. We know that there were the Sethites also. We know that Adam and Eve had two sons. Uh, Cain slew Abel, and so Cain had sons that were the Cainites, and then, of course, uh, to replace the baby that they had in the family, they had another child. If you were to look with me, if you would, over at chapter 5. Um, let's look at chapter 4, verse number 25. 4, verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. Because remember, Abel was killed, whom Cain slew. Uh, and, and to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and uh, he was called his name Enos. 
uh, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So this is where the men were actually uh, calling upon God. And so it's interesting that there were the men's, men of God and then there was the men of the earth. And so they had the Canaanites and the Thessites, if you could separate the two and understand a little bit more of, of what God is doing here. Uh, and what's happening, these men were giants in the earth, they were, they were uh, uh, bullies, and they were large, and they were tyrants, uh, and they were in leadership. Um, what a horrible place it must have been. Uh, I went a little further and did a little bit more studying about that, and, and uh, found out that these were uh, men who liked to trample everything, under their foot that was sacred. That was their desire. These were evil men that were in charge, and no wonder, no wonder there was problems in the earth. I I look at this and understand a little bit more of what the condition of the world was in verse number 5 because of what was going on on the earth at that time. Many of you wonder how long it was from the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were... Uh, placed on this earth to the time of Noah. It was about 1,056 years from the time of Adam and Eve until the time of Noah. And so a lot actually happened. These men lived long lives. I have a list of them in my Bible and how many years they lived, but I don't have time to go through it all. But it is actually an incredible story of the condition of the world at the time of Noah. That's what I want you to think about. And think about this, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, at that particular time. So it tells me that no matter how bad things get in our culture, you can still find grace in the eyes of the Lord, if you're willing to. What an incredible thought. Verse number 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination, it's further than just an imagination, it's every intent and thought of man in their heart, that's their feelings, was only evil continuously. And it got to the place where we understand this. I can imagine what God felt, how he felt, and he did have feelings because we see the next verse. And, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his what? Heart. And the word repent here means that he was sorry. He was mindful of it. Again, the Lord said, I will destroy then men whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me, made me sorry that I have made them. You know, I I can't get over the story. I, I, I can't, you know, the hope of it. Uh, if, we, if we get to the place where we understand just for a few moments of the condition of the time, it makes us understand a little bit more of the hope. The, the verse says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we would have to go back and say what, what a blessing that was for uh, his father. If you have your hand here on, on the sixth chapter, just look over the page, if you would, at chapter 5, verse 28. And Lamech lived 182 years, and he begat a son, and he called his name Noah. 
and saying, and by the way, the, the name Noah means rest, okay? So think this through a little bit more. He says rest. And then, and then it says, this same shall comfort us concerning our works and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed. And so we understand that Noah, uh, through all of this, was going to be born, uh, and they thought it was going to be him bringing the rest, but he was actually providing it for whoever would come and get upon this big ship that he was going to build, and they could find rest. I can't help but just think of a few things to note about the story of Noah. Number one is the terrible degeneracy or the corruption of the human nature. Uh, That is in every single person. They're born with that type of nature. Don't argue with me, because if you think I'm not telling you the truth, we'll go down to the nursery. And you can see these children when they find something that's theirs, and they say, that's mine. I joke around a little bit. Sometimes those that know me, I had all four sons. I never had any girls. And so now I say that my little granddaughters, they don't sin. Um, They're always sweet. But we all know that that's not true. Um, I had the pleasure of taking care of her on Friday. Thursday night, my wife was laying on the floor in the bathroom, sick. She couldn't get up. And, of course, my son and his wife live in our apartment, and they were both sick, and so Grandpa had to take care of Winona, and now I know that little girls do sin. She's only a year, but I'm aware of her of her issues. But when it comes to the issue of mankind, oh, the horrible things that I just heard on Friday night from some of the people that are struggling with their recovery attempt. And all the difficult things that you see on a daily basis, and it wouldn't take you uh, not much time to be able to open up your computer and see things that my grandpa and my great-grandpa would have never seen in their whole lifetime. And you can see worse things just in a little bit of time. I think about our culture when it comes to the law enforcement and the officers that recently beat a young man to death. That should have never happened. It's incredible what's happening in our culture today. But you know what the Bible says in the New Testament? When Jesus is speaking, he's saying that the second coming is going to be kind of like the days of Noah. And so when we're explaining the conditions in the first five verses, uh, first four verses, I, I think we would agree with verse number five is that we're pretty close to what's happening in our culture today. I don't want to belabor the point but I really believe that I can draw from this understanding. There's the terrible corruption of the human nature. Leave a man to himself and he will self-corrupt. Oh, I pray that you would turn to God. I think about the danger of mixed marriages because we see that here that there were the children of God, but there also was the children of men. And it's not hard to figure that out Some of the commentators are having a little bit of a difficulty understanding that, but I really believe that a Christian should not marry a non-Christian. You should not get married to someone who's not saved. Uh, Maybe there would be some hope that you would change him. You won't change him. If God can't do it, you can't do it. Let God change him first. I think about another thought was that God may, may have compassion, but he also must likewise punish the evildoer, and he will. 
because he is a just God. Another thought that came out of this was the day of grace has its limits. Because we are understanding that for perhaps somebody who would go against what God has, and finally God says it is enough. And the book of Ecclesiastes gives us the understanding also that you can die before your time because of rebellion, if you're not careful. I think about how that this teaches me also that if his soul will go to hell, it must be done over a constant pushing away of God's mercies because he is tenderly calling you even now. That's why you're here. You sense the present of something greater than yourself, and you draw toward that and say that there must be something out there besides me. Uh, and I thought also God never leaves himself without a witness, even in the worst times. And so God did destroy the earth in the beginning. Um, never had rained before. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 6, but there went up amidst from the earth, and the water, the whole face of the ground. And, of course, we know that he built an ark and spent so many years building that. And how big was the ark that was built in the story? I think we understand because of the text, and we were to put it in numbers, the ark was 450 feet long. It was 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. And so the total deck space was 97,700 square feet. So it was equivalent to the standard basketball court. If you were to place it, you would actually stack them 20 long ways for basketball courts. That's how big the ark was. I think it's interesting because it was the largest ship ever built till 1884 as far as size. And the ark had more carrying space than 520 rails, of train rails, if you would, or train cars, if you would. And uh, the ark is one of the most unanswered wonders of all time. I always enjoy hearing where it is on Mount Ararat, and I always wonder if they're going to find it and what a wonderful blessing it would be to tour it, wouldn't it? And see what the ark was like. Somebody thought it would be good to be able to make a replica of it. And they have. You probably have seen it. Is it Ohio that it's in? Uh, Kentucky, near the Ohio border, correct? And uh, big and massive. I think the Amish were involved with a lot of the building of it. If you were to stand next to it, you would think, wow, this is incredible. Well, my, my point this morning, and what I want you to take with you, and, and I haven't even started my sermon, by the way, just, and I may not get to it, so don't worry. We're, if we don't get to it, we're going to be okay, because I think there's enough here to think about, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I've been thinking about it all week, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I always thought, what does that mean? Does God look through the eyes of his own eyes, and he, and, he, and, he, and he, by his grace, has seen Noah and thought, that's, that's, a, that's when I, I choose him because he is a good one. You know, I, I'm wondering what it means. And it came to my mind that maybe it was that Noah looked into the eyes of God and saw grace and found grace in the eyes of God. And I thought to myself, 
Why is it that people struggle so much? It's because they're looking everywhere else but God for help. Someone would say to them, to me, perhaps, pastor, doesn't work. Oh, yes, it does work. But you've been looking everywhere but God. Look into the eyes of God this morning. What would you see? Would you find grace? You bet you would. You've been seeking everything else. Why don't you seek God? Look at him. Look at him. Sitting upon his throne, ruling the God of heaven, impeccable, pure, sinless. Look at him. Do you see him crying as a baby in a small little manger in Bethlehem? Do you see him talking to the wise men in the temple? Do you, do you see him? Do you see him being mocked in Capernaum and people throwing things at him? And do you see him then standing before Pilate? Look at him. You've been looking at everything else this week. Why don't you look at Jesus? But we see Jesus a little lower than the angels. He came and he spent time here on this earth. Our God. Look at him. Look at him as they spit at him and then they pull his beard out and look at him. Look into his eyes. Would he look up enough to look at you? He would. Would you? This morning, put your eyes upon him. I shook many hands this morning, but very few looked me in the eyes. Why is it so hard to lift up your head, young one? Why is it so hard to lift up your eyes and look at somebody? If you would look at them, think about this. Why haven't you looked to Jesus? Look at him, hanging on the cross, taking every breath that he had was a gasping for air, and he couldn't breathe, but he would push on his feet to lift himself up, to take one more breath, and look at him. Now his head is lowered, and he said, it's finished. I can't help but think this morning that the greatest thing that America could do is look to Jesus Christ. It would... Help us with all of the other issues, the pride and the racial problems and the difficulties with finances and all of the marital issues and all of the sicknesses and everything else. It would all be better if we would get our eyes on Jesus Christ. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Look at him. He just walked out of the tomb alive again. Is that really him? Can you imagine what the people said? Over 500 at a time listened to him preach again. Some actually enjoyed some fish along the seashore with him. There was a few of them that saw him ascend back to heaven. And they stood there with their mouth open, perhaps, and wondered about, who is this Jesus? Well, he is the Savior of the world. He is God incarnate. He is the son of the living God, and he is the savior of your soul. And so why do we talk about grace in the passage? Well, it is the place where Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he must have been seeking God, seeking his will and his desire. I want you to build me an ark. 
so he began to build, began to do whatever he could do to please the God of heaven. And we learn that his family was able to get into the ark, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But I think it's interesting as we just focus on that verse just for a moment in closing, I think Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That grace is an awesome word. Grace described. What is grace? Grace defined, I would say that it would be free, unmerited favor of God would be a good way to explain grace. Somebody said God's riches at Christ's expense. You might have that as an acrostic in your Bible someplace. But someone went further and said the application of Christ's righteousness to the sinner, that's grace. And by the way, that is freely done. You don't have to pay for that. It's not merited grace. It's free grace. Because the Bible says in Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely denotes that it is granted without anything done on our part, our merit. We would feel that we deserve God's grace. But that's not the way grace works. It's unmerited. You don't have to work for it. Some people would actually do all kinds of things to be able to be a religious person. I talked to a man yesterday in Culver's. He's an employee there. He's from Turkey. I know a little bit about his land. I know just a few words, and I use them, and he sat and talked to me just for a little bit. He's supposed to be helping others, but I was trying to tell him about Jesus, and I said, how do you view God? And he showed me a little bit of his understanding and, and uh, a lot like the Muslim belief, and he is Kurdish by tradition and by genealogy. But I wanted to talk to him about the unmerited favor of God, the salvation that he can obtain through the love of God, and that he can ask Jesus Christ to save him. And so I tried everything I could do to help him understand that Jesus Christ is the answer without trying to be preachy, if you know what I mean. I don't want to be arrogant. And then I saw three Amish boys. And so I felt like it was my duty to go talk to them too. And I took out a track and I said, here, I want you to read this, guys. Because the salvation that Jesus Christ gives to us is not by our works of righteousness. It is by grace, unmerited favor of God. Someone said to me a long time ago, How, what, what word would you use instead of grace? What word? And I, and I would use the word favor. That God had favor on me. He had grace on me. And he had it for you, for all who would come to him. I think about how that the Bible is very clear that, that the law of first mention, and this is the first place in the Bible that the word grace is mentioned, the first time the word or doctrine is mentioned in the scriptures carries with the meaning that will be carried throughout all the word of God. And so what is grace? Of course, we see in verse number five, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and I think God sees it is today. And that every imagination and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God even repented the fact that he made man. But his grace provided a way for God to accept man. And Noah's ark is a picture of salvation. 
the door was open. Remember that the door is open for you. And, and you can come to, to Jesus Christ called himself the door. And you can come to him and he will be your savior. I think when we think of the word law, law is a system instituted by God at Mount Sinai through Moses, the mediator. And it is the law of the covenant, a legal system. And grace, then, is an expansion of God's kindness and favor under the new covenant. And Jesus Christ is the mediator. And the Bible tells us that we now live in the day of grace. What is grace? Grace is divine help for the helpless, apart from any and all human effort. Nothing you ever have done or can do can help give you salvation. Grace means everything for nothing. All the poor sinner needs for eternity is bestowed upon him by God as a gift through grace. And all the blessings you and I receive, the future home in heaven, the bountiful blessings that we have here on this earth, and the mansion that we will have someday when we enter heaven is not merited by our works. It is by grace and grace alone. The law reveals the heart of man, but grace reveals the heart of God and his love. Law shows how crooked we are, but grace makes us straight. Law reveals the dirt, but grace makes us clean. I like this little portion taken from a book by William Newell. It was his commentary on Romans, but this is what he said. He said, grace does not help. Grace does it all. It is absolute. Man under grace is not on probation. As to his life past, it does not exist before God. Jesus died at the cross, and Christ now is in the life that he lives, and Jesus is in him. Grace, once bestowed, is never withdrawn. What a wonderful thought. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 20, it says, moreover, the law entered and the offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace did much more abound. Grace is absolutely essential and is here for us today. I think of the riches of grace. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. And wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, this is a wealth that has no limit, dear friend. An abounding grace. The Bible says in Romans 5, 15, it says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So that's grace described. I think we would actually enter into another understanding of grace then discovered. The Bible says, again in verse number 7, by faith Noah, being warned of God that things not yet seen, moved by fear, with fear, prepared an ark, the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. I think that verse gives us an understanding of repentance. 
Remember this, too, that God desires that every man would repent. Um, God is not slack concerning his promise, but that every person would come to repentance. So Noah did as every other recipient of grace had done. He believed God, and it was counted for him righteousness. And so how do we attain it? I think, first of all, we need to understand that grace is available to all who believe. Noah was not a recipient of God's grace because of his family name or because his name meant rest. No, he was a recipient of God's grace because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I think a lot of times people would like for us to be more gracious in our talk, that we would actually be more sensitive in what we're saying. But when it comes to the Bible, we need to speak the Bible the way it is written and not try to soften it up a little bit more. The Bible's very clear that unless you come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can never see the kingdom of heaven. You'll never see the streets of gold unless you come to him. But it's by grace. Noah did not find grace because he was looking for it. He had been looking for it. He wouldn't have recognized it when he found it because grace is an attribute of God because the Bible says this, for the grace of God, it is the grace of God that brings salvation and hath appeared to all men. Grace is given to every believer, though unwarranted. And so you may not be a recipient of grace, but it has been made available for you. I'm just so thankful that when I was a little boy, I grew up knowing that the Bible was true. And my mom and dad told me that the Bible was God's word. I'm so thankful that I had Sunday school teachers. I was just thinking uh, this morning about one of my Sunday school teachers when I was seven years old. Her, her name was Bernice Norbush. And uh, you might remember the sisters that would come here uh, years ago in our church. It was their, their, their mother that actually helped me understand uh, at that age, at seven, not only to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, because Ursula Clark led me to Christ at a good news club, but it helped me understand that I needed to pray for a good wife. At the age of seven, I remember her having the little kids in our Sunday school class. I remember praying for a good wife at the age of seven. And boy, did God answer that, that prayer. Uh, I'm a product of God's grace but I also have had grace in my own life personally because of how good God is and how much he loves us. You see, the sowing and reaping is true. And we always talk about don't reap the wild oats. Listen, how about, how about doing the good things? For him that knoweth to the good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And, and I thought about that this morning as I was taking care of our house. I, I, I did the back porch and I did our, our sidewalk and then I did the cars and I saw my son's car over there. And I was heading back to the house, and it seemed like God was saying, Now, him that knew it to the good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And I, and I went and got a broom, and I took care of my son's car. Now, I'm not wanting you to applaud at that. I'm just saying there are principles from God's word that will help us to be able to do what is right. And I, and I don't think we can be gracious unless, unless we've experienced grace. I don't think we can be what God wants us to be until we've accepted Christ as our own personal Lord and Savior. I think that the next point, 
I know I'm closing, but his grace detained. And so the Bible says in verse number 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. But it's interesting because Noah found grace, and it had not been for God's grace, Noah would have been destroyed with the wicked of this world. I'm so thankful for those that understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that we can detain, if you would, the grace of God, that we can actually receive his grace. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of your works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse number 3, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so God provides a good standing before him through his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the grace in which we stand, without grace we stand condemned to hell for the punishment, and that would be forever without the grace of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I think what's interesting about grace is it actually brings a holy, if you would, or divine reconciliation to our hearts. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 20, Moreover, the law entered, the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Because of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9, the Bible says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Years ago, I was in a church here in Madison, Wisconsin. It might have been 1970. 70, 75. And it was a morning service, and we had been witnessing to a man and telling him about God. He was a cement contractor, and he lived next door to the church. Some men had given him the gospel over and over. He was a rough man. A lot of construction workers are. They are sometimes a little bit more bold with their speech than the average person, and, and that's that man. And I heard he came into church. I didn't turn around to look, but someone told me that he was in the congregation and sitting in the back. And I thought, what a blessing it was to have him there. And many of the Christians were praying that he would actually come to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And uh, when the invitation came and the music began to play, I could hear someone in the back, you know, needing a Kleenex. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
And I turned around and looked, and it was Merle had his head down. Merle Siebert could not wait to get down the aisle. And he came, and he bowed his head. And a man took him in another room and showed him from the scriptures the grace of the living God. Merrill Siebert became a born-again believer, and so did his whole family. And I'm telling you this because God works that way. It's his grace, and he draws us to himself. And I think about how wicked things must have been back in Noah's day. But I look around today, and I see that man has really not changed. They have come up with all kinds of ways of calling their sin just whatever. You go to the average person today and they call it alcoholism when it's really being a drunkard. That's what it is. Irresponsible. And where is the hope? The hope is in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. They actually have all kinds of names that they come up with today to sin, sin. And the condition of our land is a lot like it was in the day of Noah. But I'm here to tell you that God's grace is still as strong and as fresh as it was for Noah. But you've got to look to him. Look to Jesus. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Have you? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're understanding this morning a little more than than the average person here. And before you even sat down in your pew this morning, you knew God was calling you, and you sensed his grace, and you knew he was calling. And maybe he's dealing with your heart, I don't know. But if you're a woman, and you come down the aisle, I'll have a lady show you from the scriptures how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. If you're a man, I'll have a man show you from the scriptures how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. But maybe this morning you've been just carrying a burden too long. You've been saved but away from God. And you want to look back at him. Look at him this morning. Look to him. He's the author. That's the beginner. And he's the finisher of your faith. And maybe this morning you, by faith, would step out and just kneel down at an old-fashioned altar and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I understand. I'm looking into your eyes. I want to find grace. He'll give it to you. If that's you this morning, then you come. Whatever the issue is, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand to your feet, no one looking around, Let's have an invitation. If you need to come, you come. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide in Jesus' name. Amen.